0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. to see you. Our message today is called "Perfect Suffering." Perfect Suffering. Now, that first word, "perfect," we we understand that word. We know what that means it means something, some wonderful, something great that we couldn't think of something better than moment. Last week, uh, we, my wife and I, dedicated our our daughter and our commitment to train her to know the Lord. And some of my wife's family was here with us and. One of my sisters-in-law, to celebrate the occasion, brought along a perfect marshmallow and peanut butter cake that just tasted amazing, and it was a great taste. So that, that was perfect to me. Or, or maybe you think of something perfect, you think of a, a work of art, maybe something you like looking at or, or seeing, or maybe something watching. Um, I enjoy some movies. I think the end of the Lord of the Rings movies, The Return of the King, I think that's a perfect ending to, to a movie. Or maybe it's someone you know that you see and you just think that they're, they're perfect in your mind. I know sometimes when my uh, wife dresses up, we're going to have an evening out or something, I think she looks perfect. Or this morning, uh, she was just on the bed with, uh, with the baby and making her giggle, and I thought that is a perfect sight right there. So we get perfect, but that second part, suffering, perfect suffering, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that's something we're going to encounter here in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And you may think that suffering may seem like an odd thing to talk about at Christmas time. We're supposed to have joy to the world now, Pastor John. Why are we talking about suffering? But I know the reality of life, and I know that there are many people who have a very hard time during the holiday season. They may be experiencing great suffering, and that suffering may feel meaningless or purposeless. They wonder why. Does this suffering happen? Well, I think we'll find some answers as we look at this passage and look at Jesus Christ. Because his suffering made him the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin, our rebellion against God. He suffered so that we would experience salvation. Today we're going to look at how Jesus is perfect and we're going to talk about why that matters to us. So if you're not already there, I encourage you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews 5. You could also use the Bible in the seat back in front of you. The words will be on the screen as well. And once you're there in Hebrews 5, I I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's word and then follow along. I'm going to read our passage today, Hebrews 5, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The author of Hebrews writes this, he says, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people." Verse 4 says, no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron, the first high priest, was. So, also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, and here he quotes the Old Testament, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, again, another Old Testament quote, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let me pray. Lord, in the midst of our suffering and struggle, thank you that you, Jesus, are perfect. I pray today as we consider your perfect sacrifice your perfect calling from God, your perfect prayer, and yes, your perfect suffering for us. It would lead us to see you clearly, to know you better, God. I pray we would recognize, God, that we don't need to do anything else, that we can trust you, that we can approach you, God. And God, may you bring us to the understanding that anything we suffer, if we know you, has a purpose, a purpose of making us like you. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that he may increase in our thoughts and our affections now and everything else decreases. May we see him clearly not only now, but throughout this Christmas season. It's in his name, the name of Jesus, that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just to review where we are in scripture, this is the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews. So it's a letter in the New Testament. It's a letter from an author. We don't know exactly who this person is, but he is writing to Jewish background believers. They were followers of Judaism, Hebrew people, but now they're followers of Christ. The problem is, though, they are wrestling with whether or not to keep being followers of Christ. They they may want to go back to their old way of life, and the author is trying to convince them, no, Jesus is better. Jesus is so much better. Last week we talked about how Jesus is better than going in alone, through life, trying to do it by ourselves. We're now in a section that's a big transition in the book. In the first part, he was looking at particular things and saying, Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses or other heroes. And now the author's talking about how Jesus is a better, a greater, a perfect high priest, the people's representative before God. And our passage is kind of the introduction to that discussion. And he focuses on how Jesus is perfect here. And the first truth we see, if you're using your blanks, you can fill it in, is that Jesus is a perfect sacrifice. He is a perfect sacrifice. The author is looking at Jesus' perfection by comparing him to the old high priest. And here, showing how he's that perfect sacrifice. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 again. Talking about the old high priest, he says, Every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer those gifts and sacrifices for sins. Those Old Testament priests can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. And because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. The author is talking about how these human high priest. They were chosen, selected to represent the people of Israel. They offered sacrifices for them. This high priest would act on their behalf, stand in the gap before God. The people wanted to come to God. They went through him. In a way far greater than politicians are today, he was someone who was truly for the people. He was there for them. If they wanted to know God, he was the one they had to go to. And a good high priest would have compassion on people. He would have sympathy for their struggles because he was just as sinful as they were. Because he shared in their experience of sin that they did their own things, they went their own way, that they didn't follow God. He could have gentleness on people who were ignorant or who were willfully walking away from God's law. This was a role that was needed because God holds people accountable to his law, his rules, his commandments that reflect his character. He expects people to know them and to act accordingly. The high priest was supposed to help people know it and know God. But in these verses here, we see the great problem with this system. The problem was that the high priest had the same misguided weakness of sin that everyone else has. They were just another person. And since the high priest were sinners, they had to offer a sacrifice for themselves to God. They had to make themselves pure in order to stand in between God And the people, they had to do the same rite, the same ceremony, so that the other people could approach God. We see this talked about in the book of Leviticus. God's giving instructions to Aaron, the first high priest, through Moses. Moses said to Aaron, draw near to the altar, offer your sin offering and burnt offering, make atonement for yourself and for the people. Bring the offering of the people, make atonement for them, as the Lord had commanded He had to make one for himself before he offered one for everyone else. And it's by talking about this that our author author here in Hebrews is showing how different Jesus truly is. Because Jesus was like and is like these other high priests. He stands between God and us. The difference is Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't have to offer a sacrifice for himself. So we just saw this from leviticus where aaron had to offer sacrifice but look what we'll read later in the book of hebrews it says of jesus he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people he did this once for all when he offered up himself one scholar charles hodge he unpacks what this means for us he says what the high priest was to the jews jesus is to us but he is even greater in all things, he has preeminence. His sacrifice for sin was perfect, didn't need to be repeated, didn't need to do it for himself. It is perfect. But what does that mean for us? Well, since Jesus isn't a perfect sacrifice, it means for us, for you and me, nothing more is needed. Nothing more is needed. Since Jesus is a perfect sacrifice, nothing more is needed. You and I, we cannot earn acceptance with God. There's not something you can do that then God says, yes, now, now we're on the same page together. We can't earn it for ourselves. We have to accept it as a free gift. We do that by turning away from sin, turning toward Jesus, trusting in Him alone. We talked about last week how there was no sin in Jesus. He is perfect. Now we may want to work for our salvation. I want to do something. I want to make myself right with God. We may want that, but we can't do it because Jesus was perfect. He did the work. Nothing more is needed. He saves by his grace. And he's able to do that for us because he has a perfect calling from God. What's your second blank? A perfect calling from God. Perfect calling talks about this in verses 4 through 6. The author says, No one takes this honor. No one decides to be a high priest for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest. He was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The point here is you couldn't just wake up one day and decide to be the high priest of the people of Israel. It wasn't a job you could aspire to if you were just a regular person. You had to be appointed by God. It wasn't a job you applied for. It wasn't a position you were elected to. It was a position God had to pick and decide. He says this in the book of Exodus. God, speaking to Moses, says, Bring near to you Aaron, your brother, his sons with him, from among the people of Israel, to serve me as priest. He lists Aaron's sons. These are the men I want. Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, Ithamar. God picked who he wanted. They didn't desire this honor. God gave it to them. And this was important because that high priest was the only one who could stand between God and the people, particularly on one day, the Day of Atonement, when they offered a sin sacrifice for all the people of Israel. It was supposed to be a position marked with service and humility before God. And this is the role that Jesus takes for us. The Son is God's final, perfect High Priest. Look again at verses 5-6. through Christ did not exalt Himself to be made High Priest. He was appointed. The one who said to Him, the God who said, You are my Son, today I have begotten you, has said in another place, You are a priest forever. Jesus didn't take this praise and this God's glory. He didn't say, I want it for myself. No, God gave it to him. The author quotes the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was called to be a high priest. Even though he is Jesus, he's the Son of God, he still had to be called and appointed for this role. He does that first by quoting Psalm 2, verse 7. We've actually read this before, we saw it in chapter 1. He's reminding them that Jesus is God. He is God's chosen, unique, and special son. There's no one else like him. And God gave him his glory. God gave him his exalted role of honor. Jesus knew this. Jesus says it himself. In John 8, he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. Nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me. The one you say, he is our God. Jesus knew God gave him his glory and position. Our author then adds a quote from Psalm 110, verse 4, to prove that Jesus is God's anointed and appointed high priest. Now, this verse here, we'll talk a lot more about it uh, a few weeks away, especially when we get into chapter 7. The author of Hebrews spends a lot of time in it. He references a mysterious Old Testament character, a priest named Melchizedek. and The author talks about him because he believes this man foreshadows, looks ahead, to the person and work of Jesus Christ. But I don't want to get lost there today. The point here today is that Jesus was called to be an eternal, forever high priest of the Lord. And that's what we see here. Jesus was called by God. And what that means for us, for you and me today, is that we can trust him. If Jesus has been called by God, then we can trust him. We can listen to what he says. We can believe in him. The fact that God chose him should draw our attention. We should take what he says seriously. This is someone who's been chosen by God. He took the role his father gave for him. He was chosen to lead and he was chosen to save us. But in that role, he shows humility. He shows a teachable spirit that should inspire us to make our lives about pleasing God and not pleasing ourselves. Seeing what Jesus has done is a challenge for us. To challenge us, I need to come to know this Jesus, and I need to rely fully on him. We rely on Jesus the same way that Jesus relied on his Father, his Heavenly Father. We can see that in his perfect prayer, his perfect prayer. That's your next blank here, perfect prayer. Now, while Jesus was perfect without sin, his life was not perfect. It wasn't ideal by our standards. It didn't go through life the way you or I would if we were planning out the way we thought our life should go. He had a life of suffering, a life of endurance. And daring his life on earth when he was in human flesh, the Son of God prayed to his Heavenly Father. We see that in verse 7. Verse 7 tells us that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Our text says he offered up supplications, petitions. He made submissive requests to God. We see this especially in the night before his crucifixion. Jesus is in a place, a garden, that was called Gethsemane. He's anticipating what's about to happen to him. He's about to take on the sin of those who rebelled against God. He's about to receive their punishment. And in that moment, we read that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I don't want to get stuck on this verse, but if you've heard me talk about this verse before, there's some misconceptions about it. If you look at the words, it says his sweat became like great drops of blood. Not that he actually sweat blood, but that he was in such distress that his sweat was as if he was bleeding this is unlike sometimes how we see the picture of what happened to him some pictures we have jesus is calmly serenely with his hands folded and the light shining on him as he's talking to god i think this picture i found is a little bit better there he was in great distress anguish as he's calling out to the lord it was a time of agony and struggle our passage says he prayed loudly with tears fervently vehemently calling out to god and this is the most extreme example of him praying, but it's not the only time we see it in the Bible. Throughout his life, Jesus prayed honest prayers. He gave real prayers of desperation to his Father. He earnestly appealed to God. He depended on God to meet his needs. He knew that he needed the Lord. He needed God's sustaining power in his life. So he prayed. He trusted In the one, our text says, who could raise him from the grave, who could save him from death. And our passage tells us he was heard because of his reverence, because of his submissive and deep reverence and godly fear. Now that idea of talking about Jesus submitting or or submission, that's a concept that rubs some of us the wrong way because we're in a world that is now very abundantly aware of how much authority is abused. By people in positions of power and that is a shame and an offense to God when it happens but submission in and of itself is something that God has Created it has a godly purpose as the scholar Michael Kruger says submission means that we're willingly Humbling just recognizing the authority of another person over us And that's what Jesus the son of God is doing here. He he wasn't afraid of God But he was profoundly in love with him. He was respectful of his father. He desired to do what his father asked. And so he submitted himself to God in his prayers. He prayed. He said, God, this is what I desire, but I'm trusting you to do what is right. Back in the garden, we can see this in Mark 14. It says, going a little farther. He fell on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, this hour, this crucifixion coming, that it might pass from him, that there might be another way. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup, this suffering from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. He asked God, can you take away this suffering and death? In this moment, God really said no. But Jesus accepted, submitted to God's plan. He knew that God heard him and that God was with him. One passage that Jesus quotes when he's on the cross, you may be familiar with, is from Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think the whole psalm is about God rejecting his son. But look what it says a little later in that psalm. It says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. Why? For he is not despised. He is not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. God heard his son. And while he didn't give him the answer that Jesus desired in his humanity, Jesus knew that God heard him. He knew that God loved him. And he knew that God had a better plan. Jesus lived his faith. He felt confident that he could address God honestly in prayer while at the same time submitting to and accepting God's will. So the lesson we draw from Jesus' perfect prayer is that if he prayed, so too we can approach God. We can approach God in prayer. We have the freedom to come to him in prayer. When we do, we find encouragement to persevere as we approach God. The Protestant reformer John Calvin said, whenever our evils press upon us and overwhelm us, we may call to mind the Son of God who labored under the same. And since He has gone before us, there is no reason for us to faint. There's no reason for us to faint, to fail, to give up. We can pray, we can call out to God honestly. We must trust Him though, even when He doesn't answer right away in the way that we want. He hears us even when we think He doesn't. One pastor, F.B. Meyer, put it this way, prayers prompted by love and in harmony with godly fear, are never lost. We may ask for things which would be unwise or unkind for God to grant to us, but in that case, his goodness shows itself. in the fact that he refuses our request, he doesn't assent or agree to what we ask for. We can pray, we can call out to God, he hears us, those prayers aren't wasted, but he may answer in a different way from what we so we pray with the same submissive spirit as Jesus, the same reverence for God, knowing that suffering and trial may be a part of His plan for us, as it was a part of His plan for Jesus Christ. We may not get what we want, but we do get what God believes is best, what God knows is best. I really, I really like like this quote from George Guthrie. He says, "We want to walk with God in the Garden of Eden." the time of blessing in God's presence. God, bless my life. Let me know you. We want to walk with him in the Garden of Eden, never having entered the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet, the two gardens are a package tour with a specific itinerary. We don't get to choose just a life of blessing and wonder and joy and no suffering at all. No, life includes stops in both of those places. But prayer is a time for us to communicate with God, to express to him, God, I don't feel like I'm in the Garden of Eden right now. This feels more like the suffering of Gethsemane. So I'm going to pray to you because that's what your son did. I'm trusting you in the good times and the bad. I'm acknowledging that you're in control and submitting to you. And when we do that, then we're able to experience the full benefit of Jesus' perfect suffering, his perfect suffering his suffering for us lays the foundation for him to serve as our high priest, to stand between us and God. Look at verses 8 through 10 in Hebrews 5. It says, although he, although Jesus was a son, he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God, a high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is God's son. He's the heir of the universe. He helped God create all things, and yet he suffered in his life. Jesus, God, suffered. I think we see this very clearly in something Paul writes in the book of Philippians. He talks about how though Jesus was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped and held to, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men, of you and me. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now Jesus was always without sin, but by living a life as a human being, he acquired the knowledge, the experience of what it's like to live as a human, what it's like to experience suffering. As verse 8 in our passage put it, he learned obedience through what he suffered. He especially probably learned how hard it is to follow God when things are hard. Learned how difficult it is to honor God in the midst of suffering. Last week, one of the verses we read, we read it earlier, was from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It tells us this truth as well. It says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus learned obedience, how to obey God throughout his life. And the same can happen to us because suffering is a way that God shapes our character, that he builds our capacity to have compassion on others. Michael J. Kruger again said, the school of suffering is not an easy one but it can teach us, train us. It can shape us like no other school, making us more effective to minister, to serve others. By suffering, we learn to have compassion. We learn to show God's grace to others. Now, the passage we looked at, Hebrews 5 looking at, has a very odd phrase in verse 9. It says, Jesus was made perfect, or your translation may have perfected. It says, and being made perfect, perfect. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, if you're reading carefully, that may make you stop and scratch your head. You may say, Pastor John, was was there a point that Jesus wasn't perfect? I thought he was God. I thought he was always perfect. Was he ever imperfect? Was he ever less than? No, no. Jesus was and always is perfect. But what the author is talking about here is that Jesus gained the experience of a perfect person. Life by obeying God in the midst of suffering. Perhaps a better word to use here that may help us understand it more instead of perf- being made perfect, maybe being made complete or being matured as a person. By living a perfect life, his work was completed. His perfect life prepared him to be our sacrifice for sin. So he could die on the cross for you, for me. He was now qualified to be our high priest our representative earlier in the book of hebrews we read this verse it said it was fitting that he for whom by whom all things exist in bringing many of us to glory that he should make the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering again not that jesus wasn't perfect but by enduring through a perfect life he's able to die for us we can find a similarity in him As Pastor Charles Spurgeon said, Jesus must learn by suffering. After all, as swimming is only to be learned in the water, so obedience is only learned in actually doing and suffering the divine will. Obedience cannot be learned at the university unless it is at the college of experience. So this is true for us. We only learn how to obey God through our life, but it was also true for Jesus. If Jesus just popped down from heaven and popped on the cross, that, that doesn't accomplish anything. But by living a perfect life, he proved that he was perfect. that He was obedient to God. And so then he's able to die for us. Because of that experience, Jesus is now perfect forever. He can freely give us eternal salvation. He obeyed God in everything without sin. This is the basis of our salvation, his perfect sacrifice grants us his perfection god looks at us and sees as jesus was perfect that's how he sees us in him his perfect life and now his death resurrection that has won us salvation if we know him we have a relationship with him if we do we have this eternal salvation that our text talks about and jesus is the source the author the designer the creator of that salvation it's only ours because of him. So our response to that should be to live as he did, to obey God as Jesus did. We come to know him and then we live by what he said. We read in 1 John, by this we know we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Saving faith is obedient faith. If we're obeying God, that shows that we know him. We want to do what he says. Remember the purpose of this book. The author is writing to these Hebrew people. He's saying, I want you to continue following Jesus. He was the perfect one who went before you. He's the one who brings you to God. Follow him in obedience and do what he says. Keep trusting. Keep obeying him. Our passage then closes with a reminder that Jesus is our designated called high priest. He suffered. But his perfect suffering is our salvation. So what What does that mean for us? Well, if Jesus had this perfect suffering that saved us, that means that our suffering has a purpose. If we know him, then our suffering has a purpose. There's something to look forward to. Pastor Spurgeon again says, we are told that the captain of our salvation was made perfect through suffering. Therefore, we who are sinful, who are far from being perfect, we must not wonder, we must not be surprised if we are called to pass through suffering too. If Jesus had a life of suffering, then we shouldn't be surprised about that. If he's perfect and suffered for us, then that can give us confidence that our suffering has a purpose and can give us hope that one day our suffering will end. Paul writes in the book of Romans that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided as long as we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The ultimate purpose of any suffering that we experience is that God is using it to mold us, to shape us, to be more like our Lord and Savior. Now that doesn't mean that Suffering isn't hard. That doesn't mean that seeing people suffer, that doesn't mean that it doesn't grieve God. It grieves Him deeply to see suffering on this world that He created. But what this does mean is that if we know Him, any suffering that we experience is not wasted. It wasn't pointless. It has a purpose of making us like Him. In that we can Praise the Lord for what he does for us. The point of this part of Hebrews is that Jesus is perfect. He was a perfect sacrifice for our sin. He was perfectly called by God. His prayer before God was perfect. He was honest with him. And he had perfect suffering that saves us. So I talked earlier about things that I may see that I may call perfect. But if you want to find real, true, lasting perfection in life you can only find it in him in jesus christ i'd encourage you to if you don't know him to come to him one more quote here from charles hodge he says we may bring all that we are and have before him we can put everything as it is into his hands we can leave it to him the one the father has appointed as high priest he will be the one who secures god's favor for us He's the one who secures our eternal salvation. We come to him, we say, Jesus, this is my life. This is all I have. I can't do it alone. But I know that you did it for me. So please, this is my life. Would you please bring me to God? We invest our life, our soul, our everything in him, trusting, trusting that he will bring us his eternal reward. And we don't do this, I don't mean a trusted hope, like, well, I hope this works out for me. No, we have certainty about this. Jesus has died and rose again. He's already done the work for us. The reward is certain for those who know Him. So the question is, do you know Him? Do you know Jesus? Have you turned from sin, embraced Him? Have you put it all in His hands? That is the question before us. And if you haven't, well, I pray that you take time to talk to someone. Could be to me, could be to someone else who knows him, about how you can have that relationship. And if you do, well, friends, then we have this perfect Savior. And I think now is the time for us to praise him because he is worthy of all praise and rejoicing.